Well, greetings and salutations, fellow members of the movie club. Welcome. I hope you guys make yourself comfortable. Sit around a little circle. We got coffee and donuts over there in the corner. And we are so glad you've come to join us today as we talk. Corner. And we are week, so glad oops, you've come to join us today. Every week about our favorite films over the past, you know, 25 years or so, although sometimes we're a little bit flexible in that rule. And today, guys, here at Movie Club, we are in for a treat because we are starting a three-week epic journey into Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And obviously that means today we are starting with the first of the Lord of the Rings films, The Fellowship of the Ring. One of the greatest movies of all time, which I, I know we end up saying that quite a bit around Movie Club, but we've been covering a lot of some of the greatest films of all time. And today is no exception as we talk about Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, the movie that kicked the whole thing off. And joining us, of course, obviously over here, fellow Movie Club member, Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how you doing? Cineholic, but there's no need to get over this one. No need to get over it. Nope, no making amends for this one. Sitting over here also, the guy who has a little bit of a hard time getting through long movies, so you know he was really looking forward to the Lord of the Rings films, Ray Orris here. Ray, how you doing? Oh, yeah. Man, I'll tell you what. I remember the first time I saw this movie, and we'll get into it here in a second, but I still remember the first time, and a lot of people who had never read the books. Yeah. <laughs> like Ray going into it and like you know you got Sam and uh, Frodo walking towards Mount Doom and then the credits start the roll and then people like what the actual F like what's going on <laughs> yep it just it took a little bit for people uh, to understand that yeah well listen this is this is the end of part one man it's it's they got away from the Urukai. What's even funnier is the people that I watched the movie with knew that, and none of them mentioned it. Not on purpose. Not on purpose at all. But it was just funny that everyone around me knew it, except me. I was the only You're one the only one who didn't know. Nope. Well, you know now, and everybody else knows as well. And we're here to talk about this great movie, uh, Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring. You know, let's just start off talking about a little bit of preamble, I guess, going into it, which is, you know, a. a this was a movie that for a long time, Rob, probably a lot of people thought this is unfilmable. Like you can't really make this movie and you can't make it to the point that it actually looks right or feels like you're not going to be able to capture the magic that we can have in our imaginations over this thing. And then lo and behold, 20 some odd years ago, Peter Jackson is talking with Warner Brothers, a new new line and. He gives them this pitch and they believe in it. the technology had gotten to the point where they could try doing stuff like this. This was, of course, the era of of like the Star Wars prequels were coming. Jurassic Park had happened, which opened up a lot of possibilities for a lot of films. And they go ahead and make this. But, you know, if it was you look back to that period of time, you know, did you ever think like even just go back a few years? Bless you, by the way. Thank go you. back a few years before it actually came out, like. Were you ever wondering if they could actually actually do like they did some animated stuff, but that they'd actually do a Lord of the Rings? No, I mean, I I never thought that, you know, I wasn't a fan of of fantasy cinema the way we'd seen it because it was never as good as I'd hoped. I mean, I, I, I remember seeing Dragon Slayer, which I liked, but it wasn't totally great or crawl or there's just something. And, and this to me, Tolkien is Tolkien's Lord of the Rings is the template for 20th century fantasy it all stems from his work and you know 
this was going to be originally made by Miramax, and it was going to be two films. And Peter Jackson had been making his movies in New Zealand. He'd made like um, Bad Taste and 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 Brain Dead and Meet the Feebles. And then he moved up to Heavenly Creatures and the Frighteners. And they were going to step up and do this. And Peter had his own cottage industry that he was making in, in New Zealand. And then for whatever reason, Miramax said, you know, no, we're not going to make this anymore. So Peter went to every, he had like a little five minute reel showing what they've been doing in New Zealand going, this is what we can do. Everyone had said no to him because Miramax had to be paid off like $50 million. So someone had to pay them off and then agree. And the last stop that Peter Jackson was making was in Bob Shea of New Line, the head of New Line, Bob Shea's office, who he had known. And this was it. If, if, if he couldn't get anybody to buy off on this, he was going to fly back to New Zealand and shut the whole thing down because they'd been doing all this development. And, and he goes into Bob Shea's office. I'm truncating this story. Showed him the reel. And Bob Shea's sitting there. Lights come up after he shows him the reel. And Bob Shea says, so you're going to make two movies for Miramax. And Peter's like, yep. Well, aren't there three Lord of the Rings books? Peter's like, yep. And for whatever reason, Bob Shea, then and there, bet the entire future of all of New Line that he'd been building up for almost 20 years. Because what people got to remember is this was not done at the time. Like, for them to go all in and commit the amount of money that they were committing Dude. over 20 years ago to making all three, like, they were going to be well into production on the third film by the time the first film came out. There was no going back. There was no safety net. It was, we are all in and they literally bet their lives on it. I and mean it's crazy. They bet their lives and, and not only that they bet they bet on the Kiwis. Yeah. You know, they bet and and what's interesting is literally the resources of an entire country, an island nation, came together under the watchful eye of Peter Jackson, but you had people like Richard Taylor and the Weta Workshop and then Weta Digital. I mean, dude, they were creating software, like the digital grading software that they used to color time, color grade the movie. It didn't exist. And like Massive, the software Massive, that was able to create AI orcs and they could have armies of orcs fighting you know based in they didn't have any of this before and they were creating it as they went and it was crazy dude you you remember like in that first the prologue basically and they're telling the story of the the final the end of the second age the end of the lord of the rings tv series leads to is going to lead right into so you've got the armies of men and elves marching against and then they kill I still remember watching this for the first time because I'd never seen anything like it. They kill Sauron. And then, first of all, all the air gets sucked in. And then, boom, it blows out. And you have that super wide shot of all the armies. And you see, like, dominoes, all the armies falling down backwards. And I just remember seeing that effect and going, "We have I've never seen anything like that. No. Because they created it for Lord of the Rings. And I'll tell you something. the the That opening... The way they set the tone with with Kate Blanchett as Galadriel narrating, you know, the world has changed. I feel it, you know, in the water and all that. In the air, smell it in the air. And that opening was genius because they give you all the backstory. You know, they tell you what are the rings, what's going on, where we're at. And in that beautifully rendered, it's all it's a montage. It's, but it's beautifully done. They tell you the whole, they, they set you, they set the stage. But I'm glad you brought that up because here's the thing. It's stuff like this when people say like when there's a new movie coming out and people say, well, you can't just jump into that movie. You have to do these other movies first to build up to it. 
Lord of the Rings proves you do not. Because I'm telling you, if they were doing that today. Like, let's say the Lord of the Rings movies have never been, been made. And they tried to make that today. And people found out they're going to start with Fellowship of the Ring. I know you'd have a lot of people are going out there. Well, you can't. You haven't built up to it. Like, people aren't going to understand the history of the ring and blah, blah, blah. You know what? Peter Jackson, in four minutes, told every bit of in important information in just four. It was probably even less than four minutes. In a couple of minutes, told everything that some people probably would have felt you needed two movies to tell the story of first. Said, no, here's what you need to know. Boom, boom, boom. All right, let's now go to the Shire. Like, did you like Ray? When you were watching it, you watched it for the first time last night since it was originally in theaters. Did yeah, but feel, can can I talk about on? the the first time the event itself in the theater? There's only a couple movies that I remember would be like this. I mean, now it seems like every Marvel release is an event, but back then it was ever so often there's a movie that comes out where everyone goes to see it, and you see lines. One of them was Phantom Menace this movie the dark knight and avengers the first avengers those are all in my memory of the the atmosphere of everyone excited i didn't even know anything about lord of the rings but i was there because of word of mouth the hype but it was a fantastic show you know and what came on screen that like john said that the prologue and everything was uh perfect it was enough for me to understand in such a quick such a quick way and to get into it real quick, you know. Well, you know the the before this came out, this came out around the holidays of two thousand one. At Cannes that May in May of two thousand one, they unveiled like twenty minutes of the movie, and I was working for a company called Curdy Pellerin, and we started doing the special features. We hadn't seen the movie yet; we didn't know anything about it. And after the Cannes reel showed a couple weeks afterwards, we were brought down to New Line to sh be shown this footage and we're like my boss michael pellerin was already a, a fanatical lord of the rings fan and we're all at we all walk into the screening room going well uh we hope this is good because people didn't know i mean everybody was buzzing about the can reel so we sit in this theater there's like you know 20 of us that's it to show us this footage and they showed a lot of the minds of moria dude i remember sitting there thinking not since i had seen star wars as a kid which i was talking about at lunch the Minds of Moria sequence, I'm like, finally in my life, it was the first time I'd seen full-blown epic fantasy put on screen in such a way where my jaw hit the floor. That whole Minds of Moria sequence, I was just like, oh my God. I had never, the scope, the design, the feeling of peril when the orcs, you know, and the goblins are coming out. Oh. I mean, dude, it was like, Wow, and and we, I mean, it was one of those times. I know it was only twenty minutes, but I, it was, my mind was blown, and I couldn't believe. I'm like, oh my god, we're so lucky, you know, that we're going to be working on this movie. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, everything in there. I just remember feeling frightened every time I was supposed to be frightened. The ring, what are they called? The ring wraiths. The, the ring wraiths. Yep. The Nazgul. The, the nine. The, yeah. The the orcs terrified me like for the longest time afterwards like i was a hobbit in this movie like <laughs> you know like I, I you could you could tell it's like you know yeah you could you could sit there and be like yeah there's someone underneath that black robe there's uh, someone underneath but you can't in the moment when a bunch of them are coming after the hobbits i was hiding with them it was crazy you yeah. know john watching this again you know what's amazing the first thing you see is the title the lord of the rings it comes up yep. and you when you but when you hear that the the that the whole overall theme when it you know 
just with that music and the way the the metal bronze Lord of the Rings with that comes font. Up, yeah, with that font, you're like, okay, here we go. Like you know, right from the beginning, Howard Shore's music, and then the as it leads into that five minute thing, and then you come out into the Shire and you first see. You know within five minutes that you're seeing something special. Yeah. Like there's no you're not going, I wonder if this is gonna be good. You're you're already completely locked in. And Kate Blanchett's voice, that open narration. I mean, just it was just it is then Nisildor, mm. son of the king, took up his father's sword. Yeah, and and it's that, just like come on. That moment took me to another place. I was no longer sitting in the theater, I was in this fantasy world which was probably the most impressive thing re-watching it last night the scope of the this world was so huge to me like yeah. even watching it like they when they went to a different place it felt like they went a long way to get to this place like from the hobbit uh house whatever they call that the house. shire <laughs> the shire the green grass. Well, and that was all it done. Was so pretty. They were able to heighten the colors because they had created this grading software where they could go in and it didn't exist. So they could go in and isolate areas to change the color to make it more more green. And and I mean, that, that panning shot up where it reveals the Shire as you see Gandalf going over the bridge. Okay, into can, can I tell you something about that shot? Let me tell you something about that shot. My favorite book growing up was The Hobbit. All right. And I remember sitting in the theater wondering, man, I hope they're able to pull this off. The trailers were great. I'm sitting in that theater. I still remember where I was, man. I was in Ancaster, Ontario. It's a part of Hamilton, Ontario. At the Ancaster Silver City movie theater. And I remember the girl I was with. And I remember just waiting to say, I hope they pull this off. It was, the, the prologue was great, right? The prologue was great. But that shot you're mentioning right now, when the camera starts to pan up, and you see the Shire, you see Hobbiton, right? I almost wept because it was, look, when you go in to see movies that are based on previous existing material, it never completely matches up with what was in your head until now. And I remember that camera panned up and we saw, you know, the Hobbit holes and we saw like the green grass and the trees. And I, I literally just at that moment almost wept in my seat because it was it exactly how I had pictured in my head as a child reading The Hobbit. And it, it seriously, just that simple moment of the camera panning up and just getting a wide establishing shot is one of the most memorable, moving moments for me in my life in a movie theater. It was incredible. Dude, even, even when you first see Frodo leaning, sitting on the ground, yeah. leaning up against the tree, and all, you're late. A wizard is never late. You know, I mean, and the whole interplay between Elijah Wood and Ian McKellen, you're looking at this and you're like, this is it, man. You know, and, and the way they use force perspective, no one knew how they were doing it at the time, but, and just all the design work. And they had John Howe and Alan Lee, who were two of the great Tolkien illustrators. They hired them to come on and visualize all this stuff and they were able to realize it. I mean, this is what happens when you have a creative team with Philippa, Fran, and Peter, and then you've got everybody they hired, Richard Taylor and everybody at Weta, when they get hired to make something and they they really know what they're doing. Now, of course, it is an adaptation. So, yes, Tom Bombadil is not in it. Whatever. They still the movie get... movie didn't need him. Didn't yeah, need the, him. The, 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 the care and the love that everyone put into this is in every frame, like every frame. They, they didn't spare anything. Like if you could put 
elvish writing on a blade, they would do it, whether you saw it on camera or not. And, and like I was telling you guys, even after rewatching it, this movie still holds up. It holds up to some of the best movies, though, that are out now. Like, I mean, as the effects wise, I didn't see a lot of the anything that really, really bothered me. So, oh, look, I, I'll tell you, we were talking about this over lunch, right? right? And the the funny thing is, because I rewatched it last night again, too. It is crazy to think that movie is over 20 years old now. And the effects other than right, I, I was saying this, we were talking about this over lunch. I said, other than there's a few moments in the film that it didn't even have anything to do with the CGI. It was the compositing. There was a few moments where the compositing was like, okay, so those six little guys down there running down the stairs, that's clearly done on a green screen and composite on top of that. Besides a few moments of compositing, like that Balrog looks as good as anything you can produce today. As good as anything you can produce today. Well, they got today. the movement down. You know, sometimes they'd make the way everything moved. It was it was never like now they might do it faster. But like you said, John, it was the design effect shots are only as good as the design of the entire shot. Yeah. If the entire shot feels correct, you can sell it. And this movie had that. I, I mean, they they knew everything. All <laughs> the, it was just so well done. And I want, you're, you're mentioning forced perspective, right? Remember last night, Anne was watching the movie with me and. I said, I just don't know how they do it. Like, I'm, I'm watching it, right? And I'm watching. I'm like, I just don't know how they do it. And she says, what do you mean? I said, just a scale. Because I'm looking at the scene of, like, Frodo and Gandalf in Bag End, right? They're in the house. And I, I'm just like, I just don't know how they do it. And Anne was like, I think I remember them teaching. I said, no, no, don't get me wrong. From a technical point of view, I know how they did it. I just don't know how they did it. Because even now, 20 years later, when let me see if I can find this one image here. I don't know if uh well yeah this one I had up here a minute ago. Let's bring this up. So this image here, it looks flawless. With as as you know as Elrond proclaims nine companions, the Fellowship of the Ring, and then it gives this big establishing shot of bring forth the, the ring. Yeah, Frodo. Frodo. <laughs> but as they're all standing there with the humans and the elf behind, and then the dwarf and the hobbits in front. I'm like, this thing is 20 years old. This looks flawless. This looks perfect. Now, of course, today you can tell when they cut from behind and you just had a small actor running right. around with a cloak on. But still, other than that, the force perspective done in this is so brilliant. Because even in the beginning, as, as uh, Gandalf and Bilbo, prior to the birthday party, just walking around talking in the house, you're like, I, I, I know how they did it. I just don't know how they did it. It still stands up to And that. another thing, because they, they went for that sort of almost storybook fairy tale color, yep. they were able to caress things in matte paintings, the bigatures, you know, they would build giant miniatures they called bigatures, and they could caress it all together and color correct it to make it feel like it was all Middle Earth. So it's all of a piece. And that was something they couldn't do without the technology they'd created for the film. And it really works. I mean, when you get into Rivendell, you can see how they they brighten up just the faces of the elves. They do so many interesting things that just add to the effect that they're creating this fairy tale verisimilitude that works throughout the entire movie. And one of the things that I love about any movie that uses it is when you put a group together of different, you know, specialties or races or whatever that have to work together. I really like that. I don't know if you could, is that if that's a cliche or whatever, but I really like when that aspect is in a movie 
So it kind of felt like you're a part of that group in a way. Yeah, because in this picture, you've got uh, human. Now, remember, in in the lore, wizard is a different race. Right. Right? Like, wizard he's, is a different race. He's one race. of the Astari. He's only taken this form. So you've got, you got Gandalf, who is what he is. You got a couple of humans. You got an elf. You got a dwarf. And you got four hobbits. All in the working. Now, the one thing I'll say, talking about the beginning of this thing, because, you know, eventually... We have his 11th birthday party. He leaves and all kind of stuff. There's two kind of problems I have that really comes to light in this first, early first half of the first act. One is, and I've never been able to reconcile this, Gandalf shows up in the Shire and Frodo's like, it's wonderful to see you and blah, blah. So what's going on in the world? Blah, blah, blah. They start to ride through town. Children run out. Gandalf, Gandalf, fireworks, Gandalf. Fire off the the fireworks. By the way, one of the funniest mo- moments of the movie, the old guy who looks grumpy at him. Fireworks go off. He's ha, ha, ha. But the wife looks at the husband. He goes, <laughs> one of the funniest moments ever. But so, oh, fireworks, Gandalf. Great, great. Oh, you've been labeled a disturber of the peace. Well, blah, blah, blah. But then they get to Bag End. And this is where I get a little bit confused because Bilbo answers the door. And they act like they haven't seen each other since the Lonely Mountain, since the events of the Hobbit. They act like they haven't seen each other in decades. Which is, wow, you haven't aged a day. So, like, on one hand, they're acting like he comes and goes to, to the Shire every once in a while. But then on the other hand, Bilbo's acting like he hasn't seen him in decades. And I watched it again last night trying to pick that out to see, is there some little nugget in here that kind of, you know, settles that, but it doesn't. To me, that's an inconsistency in well, the movie. Is his memory like depleting at that moment, Bilbo? No, is he I getting older? No. The way I always saw it is that Gandalf is a legend. He's he's like, but the and children saw him. They but knew. they but they've grown up hearing all about Gandalf the Wizard, and they probably all knew that he was coming. How did Frodo know? That well, Frodo seems to already have a tight relationship with him, right? Yeah. And yet, like, but, but suddenly Gandalf shows up and says, "Oh, you have an age of day. Like you're just noticing that now." How many years has it been since you've been here? And then the other thing that's a little bit of a problem. By the way, in the books, it's years, decades. The other thing that's a little bit of a problem is, and and this is the one thing that I think in general Peter Jackson didn't do a good job of in this first movie, which is the passage of time. Because, like, for example, from when Gandalf leaves the ring with Frodo, says, keep it secret, keep it safe, and then leaves... I be, if I remember it right, it's like months. Oh, it's a, I think it's a lot longer than I, I that. Mean, it's a long time before he comes back and says that his secret is safe. And it literally felt like a day or two passed. Yeah. I mean, they had to compress the time. It, it's true because there's a lot long. Anybody who's familiar with the books knows it's a lot longer than it seems. So that was one thing. And then sometimes they had to verbally say it. Like sometimes he was like, okay, we're entering Moria now. It's a four-day journey to the other side. Okay, great. Now you now we kind of understand what's going on there. But other than that, that is like in a big, broad fantasy film, that's my only problem. That's it. I mean, with, with, a, with a type of movie like this, I could have 100 problems. That's really my biggest problem. And that's it. Right. Which I never picked up on anyways, watching right. it. Because I never read the books before. So the Hobbit and whatever Gandalf story. Yeah, but again, so. the casting too is so impeccable because not just Ian McKellen well, and, and they Elijah had to make Wood. It changing in the casting. Yeah, they did. With I mean, Bo- a- or sorry, with Aragorn. Uh, Aragorn. Yeah. Oh, oh, why? Yeah, yeah, it was not. Uh, why am I freezing on a uh, Vigo? Vigo it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it's going to be Stuart Townsend. It was going to be Stuart Townsend. That's right. And they started shooting with Stuart Townsend. 
they started shooting the movie with them, if I'm not mistaken. And then Peter Jackson was a few days in and they were like, this isn't working. Let's go get that Mortensen guy. And they oh, brought in Viggo Mortensen. Like, he just didn't like the, it, it just wasn't fit. It wasn't the fit. It wasn't what character. Peter Jackson had in his mind mm. for the character. And it's better. Like, I love this. One of my favorite sayings and philosophies for myself is fail fast. That's one of my biggest things in, in business and work and everything I do. Fail fast. It's like, hey, I'm going to make mistakes. Just make, recognize the mistake as quickly as you can. And then move on from it. Don't be afraid to move on from it. And Peter Jackson recognized this isn't working. It's not the right fit. And then they switched to Viggo Mortensen and history was made. Because now can anybody imagine Strider being played by anybody else other than Viggo Mortensen? Nope. Can anybody else say Gondor calls for age? Sorry, that, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's the next one. It's, it's weird seeing Viggo in anything right now without even thinking back. Oh, that's our... Aragorn. Even, even History of Violence. Watching History of Violence, and I'm thinking it's Aragorn. <laughs> and he's going to be in Crimes of the Future. Yes, he yeah. is. Yeah. Saw that first trailer about that. So, anyway, let, let's get some general stuff here. Ray, let me go over to you on this. There, one of the strengths of Lord of the Rings is all the characters. What a character, when the movie's over, did you find, like, you just find yourself being attached to more? Like, who was your favorite character oh, in this movie? Obvious, obviously, it's Legolas. 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 Um... Just because he's he's mean with that arrow. I mean, you like anybody who could hold their own. But from the beginning, I actually thought my impression of him was this guy is going to get us killed because he's <laughs> the skinny, the pretty. He came off as like he's going to be looking at himself in the mirror and get someone else killed. Because like I said, I don't know anything about any of the lore. So I had my first impressions. I actually I actually like Gimli a lot. Oh, I too. love Gimli. He was so funny. And I would I was never worried about him. The whole time I was worried about one of the characters I like dying. But as the movie went on, you see how strong they are. But not only how strong they are, how much stronger they are when they're together. Which was like the not only did they prove their strength like when they're one on ones or whatever, but when they were together, it was like you can't penetrate that rock at all. So anytime they like kind of split up, you okay. So to answer your question, it was Legolas and um, Gimli was a close second. I mean, I did like the all the hobbits; they're cute, but they were sometimes a liability to me. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> they, they they were frustrating mo- so, most of the time. So. Especially Pippin. Sometimes, yeah. yeah what, what about I, you? Well, I, I wanted to ask you, like, what, like with all these characters, which which is the one that really stands out to you? Well, I I think the four hobbits together because right. they are the unlikeliest of heroes. And I think Mary and Pippin are the MVPs of this movie, even though they're frequently comedy relief, you know, they, in a clutch, you can count on them, you know, they're there and the four of them together, like when they first hit the road and start taking off, you know, and they meet the first of the Nazgul on the, on the path. And they, they hide How underneath freaky the tree. Is that shot, by the way, they're hiding oh. under the tree. The Nazgul shows up, and all the insects and worms and spiders start coming uh, it, out. I mean, it was, it's so just, good. again, the design, what a workshops work in that, with the the design of this ancient armor and the, the how the horse is all like diseased and half dead and and, and every time they're around the you, they played that haunting sound like that oh yeah, yeah. And, and like not, that all of that stuff it, it, but I just you know and those four characters together you see they're solidifying underneath that tree you know these people are gonna they're gonna go the, they're gonna go the distance and I love how I I just 
and it's it's heartbreaking when they get split apart later on as we go into the series you know and you've got you've got sam and frodo have to go off on their own on their journey and mary and pippin go somewhere else and it's i think that the group i love the four of them together and the casting i mean yeah but again if they were not cast correctly then it doesn't work it doesn't work i i have my favorite characters but the ones that left the biggest impact on me was sam Oh, his dedication to Frodo is like I would love to have one person in the world that would do that for me. Oh, I remember thinking to myself, everybody should wish they had a friend like Sam. And by the time we get to the end of the trilogy, you use the phrase MVP. Sam is kind of the MVP of the trilogy, right? Yeah, he really. By the time you get to the end, there, like I may not be able to carry it for you, but I can carry you. And I'm like. Fuck! That is such a good line, well, man. You know, and a but lot of getting ahead of ourselves. Listen, <laughs> a lot of this came out of Tolkien's experience with World War yes. One and and yeah. everything. And you had officers, and they're they're not called servants, but they're called I forget what they're called the, yeah. that would attend the officers. I mean, that relationship was right out of the British military, and a lot of what happened. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, and they knew a lot of a lot of people. Their contemporaries had fought in World War One, and. And and a lot of this is born out of what Tolkien was the industrialization and what was going on in England at the time and what he had seen the horrors of war and all that, and he was incorporating it into this story, which is what makes it so resonant because it's it all came out of his own experience. And as you move along through the story, John, I love the fact that you meet Gandalf and then he goes away, and you like these four guys, and when they get to Bree. And they they barely escape the Nazgul on the ferry, the Buckleberry ferry, right. you know, and they get to the prancing pony. And it's so great because then it's like, oh, a little bit of respite. We get a little few, couple of drinks in us. It comes in pints. And then they introduce Aragorn. And he's sitting there in the shadows, mm-hmm. you know, and he's smoking his pipe and observing everything. Like, it's like he knows that the, the game is afoot and he's just waiting. And I love that whole scene in the because the hobbits don't know just how malevolent where they are is the, the the evil they have left the shire there's evil at every corner there is no escape but they don't even know it yet they don't even know how close they are and in meeting aragorn because remember if they hadn't met him they would have been sleeping in their beds and they would have been dead well, i mean again it showed that that gandalf had foresight to make sure he had a plan b ready and in place yeah in case he got as he said delayed but i wanted to, to backtrack for a second because i want to give my favorite character of the book I've mentioned this, or of the of the movie, I've mentioned this before, but my all-time favorite character, I'm going to see if anybody in the live chat, because I've mentioned this a few times, but I'm going to see if anybody in the live chat knows who it is. The Lord of the Rings contains my all-time favorite character in all of fiction. Not just fantasy, not just books, not just movies. My all-time favorite character in all of stuff, and a few guys already know who it is. Daniel Dang, uh, Tom knows it, Curtis knows it. It's Boomer. Boomer's my all-time favorite character in all of fiction. Because I think in, in movies like Lord of the Rings, I think one of the powerful things about this movie, and about any movie really, is when we can see a character that we kind of identify with a little bit. And the thing about Boomer to me is, number one, He's strong. He wants to do what's right. He he wants to have honor. Like the council decides to do something that he doesn't want to do. And I love the line he says, if this is the will of the council, Gondor will see it done. Like he's got that. He's got the great intentions, right? But he's also got weakness in him. 
and he succumbs faster than anybody else in the party to the ring and the temptation of the ring and actually turns on Frodo, attacks him, tries to take the ring from him, like the most horrible thing you could do in this movie, like betray the, the, the fellowship, go after Frodo, take the thing. And the thing that makes me love this character so much is that the regret and the, the shame he has when he realizes what he's done and the very next thing we see him do is the ultimate, I think in any movie, TV series, whatever, it's the ultimate act of redemption. As he comes flying out of nowhere, the ring's gone, right? The ring's gone. It's just two hobbits there. It's Merry and Pip. But it doesn't matter. He is going to do whatever he can do to try to save their lives. And he dives in there. One of the most heartbreaking, powerful death scenes to me as that fucking uruk sits there and just keeps peppering him with arrow after arrow and then finally like right up in his face and is about to do it again. But the death of Boromir, the redemption of Boromir, his death and that that great conversation he has with Aragorn before he dies, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. You know, it's just, it, 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 because there's just so much in this character that I see in us. And I see that that's why I love this character and that's why he's my favorite. Well, you know, and in the extended edition of Fellowship, my favorite addition to that is the Boromir conversation with Aragorn outside the Mines of Moria, where he's making his case to Aragorn, like, look, there is good in the world of men. You know, you need to jump in and 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 be a part of this and you need to you need to believe in men and, and Aragorn doesn't really and he's trying to convince him of this and it's a great it's a great exchange and i i think you're right i mean the character is tragic and yet what a great redemption at the end and 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 it, it serves as the ending of this movie really you know it's that kind of sacrifice and you realize what's at stake and, and, they, and what it all means and they didn't even end up killing the two <laughs> which, uh, which really sucks you know so we get past the the prancing pony now they find out what's gone. By the way, let, let's talk just for a second about uh, speaking of great redemption, the great betrayal, Saruman, the white, as like, damn, that Christopher Lee. Never, never turn your back on Christopher Lee. Gandalf goes to see him. He goes, you're the head of my order. And like, who does Gandalf bow to, right? He gets there and he says, Saruman. And like, whatever, there's this reverence. He is wise and powerful. He'll know what to do. Get there, the great betrayal. And of course, you know, instead of killing him, he puts him up on the roof, which, of course, brings up one of the great memes of Lord of the Rings, which is Saruman takes Gandalf, puts him up on the roof so he can't get away anywhere. Ultimately, Gandalf just calls for the for the giant eagle to come and get him, which begs the question, why didn't they just take those giant eagles to Mordor and drop the ring from a bird down into the volcano? Fabulous question. Never been answered, but that's fine. Then we don't have a story. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the you know thing, the rates on those birds? Very expensive. <laughs> they might, you know what? They might not have gone into Mordor. You know, they they only went true. into Mordor after the ring was destroyed. Yep, I mean uh, that could be true. There could be something to that as well. Um, but just that whole scene, and then talking about but what is what are the seeing eye stones called again? The Palantia? The Palantirs. Palantirs? Yeah. Okay, I thought he referred to it as the Palantia. But anyway, the Palantia stones, whatever. That whole thing about that and then realizing that was his personal bat phone to Sauron. Oh, I mean, you could feel the betrayal and all that kind of stuff. That whole thing and then setting up Isengard, right? That and then, of course, 
you've got J.R. Tolkien setting up the, the whole idea of the industrialized world versus the natural world as J.R. starts tearing all the trees down and that comes back to bite them in the ass later in the films because obviously the Ents ain't too happy about that. No. So that sets up everything too. But oh my God, and then the creation of the Urukai. Crossing, what do they say? It was a cross of of orcs with goblins. Yeah. Right? So what do you do? Just kill two of them, mix them together, bury them, and then let them come up. And, I don't know how he did it. But anyway, the Urukai were some badass dudes. That was great. Yeah, and then, you know, when when the when the uh, Nazgul corner them on the top of uh, of Weathertop and Frodo gets stabbed, you know, that's terrifying too. And and these characters they never have it easy in this movie i mean it's Man. never it just gets more dire as the movie goes on the the cave trolls oh dude one of the best lines in the movie I, we were talking about this at lunch one of my favorite lines in the movie and it's it's the sarcasm and the resign and the whatever that he says it bohemir peeks out the door the arrow sitting he comes back and closes the door and goes they have a cave troll. One of my favorite lines in the entire movie. I don't know why. But man, the 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 fight they put up in that small room was awesome. Oh, I thought it was that whole so good. That whole thing. I, I remember they made a, a Lord of the Rings video game. Yep. That was straight up linear to. I mean, everything you did in the game happened in the movie. But when I got to play that part, I think it was two player. I think me and Anne were playing it. I would always play Legolas, and then she would play uh, Gimli. And we would just do that level over and over again because we couldn't beat that troll. That that whole thing was really cool. But also, in a way, did any of you guys um, think Gandalf was kind of like a dick sometimes? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's short. He's gruff. He's, he's really grumpy. I mean, he like when poor Pip. Yeah, he scolds Pip like a like, like a, a little yeah. bitch. Yeah. When Pip accidentally knocks, first of all, how awesome was it? Was that just first the one thing goes down? Then the chain goes down. Then it pulls the suit of armor down, which then pulls the bucket down. And and it was pretty harsh what Gandalf said. Next time, throw yourself in and rid us of your stupidity. Everyone Fool of a took. <laughs> so like, good. Oh, poor Pip. And oh. then how great was that? Once the set, they, they, it, then you wait. You hear the echo. Oh, yeah. Then oh. the drums. And then the, yeah. And then Boom. the. Boom. Boom. It's like, oh, damn. And they came. But even before that, the octopus uh, creature. Oh, yeah, that Kraken. The Watcher. That was really cool, too. I mean, this was stuff that was blowing my mind when I saw it in the theater. I was like, oh, my God, there's so many things that are trying to kill them. Yeah, everything everywhere is trying to kill them. And then they finally, you know, they fight their way out of the one thing. They're running through the mines. And then you just see the hordes of orcs and goblins and like crawl like when they start crawling down the pillars (laughs) like all that that just gives you the (laughs) heebie-jeebies and then they get surrounded and here's the funny thing too when you think about it the hero really of the lord of the rings story overall is the balrog because our heroes are down in the mines of moria they are literally completely surrounded by thousands of orcs they would have died right then and there if the Balrog hasn't showed up and they were like, oh shit, we gotta go. And they all leave. And thanks to that Balrog, the Fellowship of the Ring survived. As soon as they went on their journey, I, I didn't feel safe anywhere. Even when they went to uh, uh, stop and rest, I didn't feel safe at all because it was either creatures, um, other people, or the environment trying to kill them. It was everything. Yes, going, the environment was trying to kill you them. You know, it was like, it was like, you can't rest. Just go, just go, just go. That's the way I felt throughout the whole movie. Go, 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 go. And how no frustrated, rest. how frustrating was it 
when you're with them and they're journeying and they're resting on the rocks and then all the birds, the bird spies come and they realize, all right, they've been traveling for a month and they're like, oh, we can't go this way. Uh, guess we got to hike up the snow mountain. Oh, that sounds like fun. And then who knows how long it took them to get up in the snow mountain. And then they get buried and they're like, well, uh, this didn't work. Now we got to turn around and go back and we got to go try to go. My and, just, and then we get in the mines. It's like, oh, look, orcs. And it's it's not a mine. It's a tomb. Then they're like, they were just getting effed everywhere. Every step. It was the ultimate adventure. It's the ultimate oh, so adventure good. movie. I mean, all I could think of was this needs to be a video game. Like throughout the whole thing, because I was like nine players nine player multiplayer action trying to get through it the whole thing was the an adventure to me like, you know they had the, the first trailer for this that they showed in theaters was for all three movies they talked about it's like an announcement trailer and then at the end of the trailer they show all the members of the fellowship come over the top of the mountain you remember that shot yeah, where they all yeah, yeah. passed by and i remember thinking oh man i mean it, it just it nailed the and the look because of of the great work that weta workshop had done everybody looks different you know boromir is a man of gondor and and legolas is from she's, he's a woodland elf and and they've all got they all look different and the hobbits look the same you know and and it's so the the beautiful costume work and the beautiful exactly. the way they made these characters look they were so iconic and when you see them all together you feel like you're watching like a strike team is your strike team ready exactly strike team <laughs> you know that's, that's exactly what they, and, they, and they certainly they certainly uh went through the shit <laughs> they had to go through the shit oh they they absolutely did and then i mean we were talking a little bit earlier, like if you were uninitiated in the novels and the books and the movie ends, a lot of people are like, well, WTF, like what, this, that's the end of this movie because they didn't know. The death of Gandalf. The death of Gandalf. Fly, you fools. Oh, first of all, one of the greatest lines in all of movies. You shall not pass. Like, okay, you are the ultimate badass. He's sitting there telling what's up to the Balrog, right? He's like, listen, you're my bitch. You will not pass. And then he like cronks him down. Of course, the whip comes up, gets him. And then we see what happens in the next movie. But still, for those who are uninitiated in it. Yep, like me. The, the, Gandalf dies. And they sell it, man. And the pain. And I love, love, love. After they all get out and they're, everybody's grieving. And Aragorn comes out. All right. Sam, up. Everybody up. We got to get going, blah, 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 blah. And Boromir's like, for pity's sake, give them a moment. But Aragorn's forever the pragmatist. He goes, listen, as soon as that sun goes down, these hills are filled with orcs. We've got to get to the forest. we got to go. But just the pain, whatever. And even once they get into the, the forest realm of... Uh, Rivendell. Uh, of Riven no, no, not Rivendell. Of, uh, oh. It's uh, Galadriel's realm. Once they get into the, to the forest realm... And they're they're hanging out, and they hear the ah. It's like Legolas is. It's a song. It's a lament for Gandalf. Like even they, the, the elves, are singing a song of sadness for the past. Oh, it felt so. What a beautiful <laughs> area that was. Oh, well, yeah, gorgeous. we didn't talk about like Rivendell when when they have the Council of Elrond, you know, and everybody's together and and bring and, forth the ring, yeah. Mister Smith. Yeah, that <laughs> kind of. Or, yeah. It's it's. It was the way the elves are depicted in that realm is depicted. And again, Hugo Weaving as Elrond is so awesome, you know, and that's what they we kind of skipped it over. But that's when they put this fellowship together. I mean, a couple of years reminded the name of that with the woodland realm was Lothlorien. So yeah, yeah, Lothlorien. Um, but but we you know, when when he's stabbed and all that, 
when they get to Rivendell and you meet Elrond. I mean, Hugo Weaving as Elrond was a badass too. Like oh, yeah. you know, you're meeting all these people and it's 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 incredible. And and I I love that. And then when you get to Lothlorien, of course, the gift of Galadriel. You meet Lady Galadriel, and again, you know, and she gives everybody their gifts. And um, or is that the extended version? The gift oh. of Galadriel. No, no, they all they all get their gifts. Yeah. Then later on, they they go that's, off. And, that's what I uh, like. I said I'm going to repeat it again. The, I I enjoyed the most out of this movie how every place felt like it was so much further from the other than the place they were before. I kind of felt the distance when they would change to each environment like it felt like they were in another completely different area and i i love that about the movie yeah i mean you get you get a real sense of they are on a, a very long journey and the shots the cinematic shots overhead where you see the scope of the land oh it was awesome those were beautiful like that's why that cliffhanger hurt so much because i they gave you a view of the where they had to go and i wanted to go there already like let's go well and that's you, another thing that that you know, I don't think this movie would have been what it was if they didn't make it New Zealand because they had so many it, it, on the north and south island of New Zealand. There's so many different terrains. You can you can go skiing on the south island. You can go. They've got beautiful, almost tropical forests. And and they made such good use of all the land and those beautiful mountains. And I, I mean, is there any other place in the world that looked like this and and new zealand was absolutely a standout location and they maximized it to give you a sense of you're in an alien environment i want to go back though for a second to galadriel because a couple things obviously she's the opening narrator of this whole thing we we find out right from the beginning she's one of the recipients of the rings initially uh then she's got like the ultimate cheat on your husband power like she's greeting everybody but she's having side conversations with Yo, Aragorn, meet me in my elven loft later. No, but she's she's having a conversation with Frodo in the, mentally. But some people, I remember to this day, don't like the portrayal of Galadriel. Like, hmm. especially when he gets to that point when Frodo offers her the ring. Because this is the second time that Frodo's tried to give the ring away to somebody he, he, he thinks can take care of it. And obviously when he did it with Gandalf, it was no, like, understand. I would accept this ring. I, I desire ring out of a. I would take it out of a desire to do good, but through me, it would wreak unspeakable evil or whatever the line he said. And then the same kind of thing happens, only in a more dramatic way, when he tries to give the ring to Galadriel. He says to her, "Like, uh, what did he say? He goes, if you want, wish I would. I would offer you the ring. I would give you the ring." And then she gives this whole speech about um, one of my favorite lines in the movie, when she says. Like, instead of a dark lord, you would have a dark queen and the lighting and her eyes and uh, all that kind of stuff. And then she says, like, the line, I actually fired this auto on Twitter last night when, when she said in the movie, this line, all will love me and despair. <gasps> Damn. That line is, uh, that reminds me of half my girlfriends. All will love me and despair. That, 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 <laughs> that's the only part I said for me didn't hold up. Where she turns See, into I the... I love it. That scared the crap out of me, like, when I first watched it. But last night, I was like, after messing around with Photoshop for a while, the lair, the blending, and, like, you know, it just wasn't as scary as it was before. By the way, you know, the I got to say, say something here. Brandon Reed in the live chat is saying, well, I guess Ezra Miller has the ring now. 
<laughs> the, the, oh. But also, when Galadriel does that, she's kind of making a point. Yes, oh no, she, she absolutely she, is. She's, you know, she wants to make sure that, in, in a way, like you got to understand where we're at here, pal. Um, um, one of the most beautiful shots I, is when they're on those boats, going into in between the. Oh, when you had the giant statue, yes. yeah, the Argonath. That's it. That has to be one of the prettiest. Prettiest shots of the movie for me, at least. It's it's. I had a poster for a long time, of just a wide shot. You see the tiny little boat in the river and the two giant statues. Oh, and when they sent Boromir over the the falls, yeah, that was a night. That was like you know that was kind of that hurt a little bit. <laughs> oh, and, and like Aragorn, like I know we're jumping around all over the place here, but when Aragorn, he's saying goodbye to him, and and I can't remember the line he says before that, but he says something something, son of Gondor. It's like what, how the poetry, the the beauty of it. It's like modern language Shakespeare is what Tolkien was writing at the time. It was just oh man. I, I think too one of the things about this movie that I'm always struck by when I go back and watch it again is the tone. You know, there's a lot of disparate elements here. The hobbits are kind of goofy. Boromir, like you said, is a tragic, ultimately a tragic hero. Aragorn's serious. You've got elves. Then you have Gimli, who's always there for comedy relief and is kind of funny. There's all these elements, all these balls that Peter Jackson's keeping up in the air. And the tone of this movie could have veered off at any moment and, and unbalanced the film. But I think that one of the great marvels of all three of these movies is they, they Peter Jackson knows what kind of a tone this movie has to have in it. It never gets too self-important and it never spins off to f- total fantasy land where you can no longer believe in it. And that's a really, really hard thing to do. And over three movies, you you because you know on one hand sam and frodo have this drudgery through middle earth but then you've got guys going off into battle and then you've got other people you've got gandalf's story and it's a really really hard thing to do and this movie i I can't think of any other movie that keeps its tone the way this movie does and that's why people love it so much by the way a, a great moment of this film that i should point out that Devin in the live chat just put in there because I remember it got, even though I knew it was coming, it got me. There's just, just a quick moment. Maybe some would consider it a cheap jump scare. But when Frodo is reunited with Bilbo in Rivendell, and then Bilbo's like, oh, my old ring. I would very like to, much to hold it one last time. And then he goes, ah. And th- just for a second, they CG his face, dark, very golemish the teeth and the eyes, man, I knew it was coming. Like, I, I know that's what happens in this moment, but it happens in the moment and it like, it makes you jump. I mean, that was just a, Oh yeah. A terrific little, and it really showed how fast he started aging after losing the ring. And then later, of course, at the end of the trilogy, as they're getting into the boats to travel with the elves, like he's much, much older at that point. Oh yeah. Which also tells you how much time is passing uh, in this, uh, in the story. Where do we go to next? Where, what, what do we cover next here? Talking about this movie, what they were talking about them passing through the thi- through the through the statues. We talked about. I mean, uh, we could just talk about this. I mean, we could go to where I that that where I'm going to the end already. Where they split up. Sure. The decision to get to Pip to go after Pip, um, Mary and, and Pip, and Mary and Pip to save them was. Uh, it was like, oh, who do I follow? Like, which. 
which path am I going to follow? So it, it was kind of it's a it's a great setup for the next movie. Well, it's, it's also it pissed me like, off. <laughs> but. It's also fulfillment, really, because it wasn't just encouraging words. When Gladriel, when they're in Lothlorien, they're talking to Gladriel, and she's speaking to them. But hope still remains as long as the fellowship is true. She wasn't just giving them a pet talk. It was almost prophetic, right? So when Frodo makes the decision, encouraged by Galadriel, that he can't stay with, like eventually the ring will overtake everyone in the fellowship. Yeah, He's got to go out on his own. <sighs> Leading to one of the best lines ever. I'm going to Mordor alone. Of course you are. And I'm coming with you. One of the great lines ever. But so he goes off. So there's a moment there, right? So Gimli says, well, then that's it. The fellowship has failed. And then hearkening back to what Gladriel says early in the film, Aragorn comes up, puts his hand on both Legolas's shoulder and Gimli's shoulder and says, not as long as we, we, we remain true to each other. Okay, so Frodo had to go. Fine. The fellowship stays true. Merry and Pippin are in trouble. Let's go hunt some orc. By the way, I, I, I remember the first time I saw this movie, the audience audibly cheered. When Aragorn said, let's hunt orc. Yes. And everybody's like, yeah, you hear the theater, everything. And then they start, by the way, in Middle Earth, when you're going somewhere, everybody runs. You just run all day. Poor Gimli. <laughs> Anybody is running too. He's like with a short I'm little. trying. Like, very dangerous <laughs> over short distances. Yeah. But, though, but it was, again, almost prophetic. He says, "Not we're going to stay true. So, And that becomes incredibly important later on in the series because they stayed true and because they went after Merry and Pippin. Ultimately, that's why everything they were able to win the day. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just, it's a damn perfect movie. And I, again, I mean, I keep going back to Philippa Fran and, and Peter, you know, the writer, the, Philippa and Fran wrote it with Peter. His direction and his orchestration of all of these elements because he knows exactly when to give the audience cathartic moments like you brought up lines you know let's go hunt some orc he's very aware that those are audience cheering moments and he's also very aware that when you're watching a movie like this the audience at three hours long almost the audience needs these moments they need this cathartic release and whether or not it's old friends being reunited whether it's kate blanchett doing uh and despair you know giving us this movie is beautifully orchestrated, and there's a reason why. <laughs> orchestrated. Or, yes, it's beautifully orchestrated. <laughs> I see what you did there. But, um, uh, and I think that there's no amount of praise that can be heaped on this movie enough to say that this is an incredible feat of storytelling that could have gone wrong on so many levels, but doesn't. Yep. All right, guys. Well, listen, we, uh, there, there are obviously many moments we have just skipped over and not talked about but we could talk about this movie all day all week we could talk about this movie we could do a five-part series yep. with sound the first day oh. sound the colors the next day visual the, effects yeah, i can't believe characters. in november of this year this movie's old enough to drink it's true. It can have a pint. It can have a pint. It can have its own pint. They but in, we're going to spend the rest of our time now hearing from you guys. Now, the Super Chats are no longer open because it, it filled up. But we are now going to hear from you guys for all you guys who sent in Super Chats. So let's go over and see what you guys have to talk about for our movie this week, Fellowship of the Ring. We're going to start things off here with Mega Movies who wrote, I know it's cheating, but I don't care. I do what you do with Star Wars, John. The Lord of the Rings trilogy pretty much combined as my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, listen, I do that with Star Wars. Like when I when people ask me about my my favorite movies of all time, 
when I mention Star Wars, I just, I mean that as the original trilogy. I just kind of count that. Uh, nobody else has to do that. I'm saying I just do that for myself. But also when I do my favorite movies of all time list, I also count the Lord of the Rings trilogy as one thing. I just put it into one spot. You should. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, so, I mean, nobody else has to do that. I'm just saying that's the way I like to do it. So, all right, next up, Mega Movies also writes, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is what shaped my love for cinema. Every single year, it becomes tradition with my mom to watch these films. I can't believe it turns 21. But it's true. I, like, I prefer the Star Wars movies, but there, there is no other movies, including Star Wars, that I will watch almost as an annual thing. I need to sit down and rewatch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There, there, there's something so epic about it in scope, as you were pointing out, Rob, in tone. I, I don't know that there's other movies that I mentally know, make note that every year I need to try to watch these. I'm telling this. That's a beautiful thing that you and your mom actually watch these every year. That is correct. If my dad loved movies as much as you know the type of movies I did, I would have have the same thing when he was still here. So. By the way, one of the lemons or lemonade that came out of lemons about the the pandemic, one of the for film fans, one of the the minor bright spots and all that was I remember a lot of people because they re-released Lord of the Rings in a lot of theaters when there was no other movies coming out. And I remember, Rob, a lot of people writing into us saying, you know what? I've never seen Lord of the Rings before. I went to go watch it. It was that in The Godfather, right? It was The Godfather. A lot of people had never seen The Godfather. They were re-releasing The Godfather in theaters. A lot of people had never seen Lord of the Rings, and they were going to go see Lord of the Rings. I mean, that is one of the cool things. All right. Uh, next up, we got Phoenix King Theo writes, for me, these have, without question, the best scores of movie history. How the themes evolve through the three films is something I haven't seen elsewhere. I'll tell you what about that. I will sometimes, when I want to say it's the weekend and I want to take a nap in the afternoon or something like that, something I never get to do during the day. But I love putting on, I find that there's a couple of YouTube channels that are just six hours <laughs> of Lord of the Rings music with background sounds, like a breeze, yeah. leaves bristling. And every single piece of music for Lord of the Rings, when it starts to play, those moments play in my head immediately. That speaks to the power of the music in these things. Like whenever I hear, like whenever I just see a, a grassy hill, I hear ba bum 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 ba bum bum bum. Right? I just hear that in my head instinctually. And when I hear that music, I see that in my head. I mean, it, it's crazy. What Howard Shore did with the music in this movie is incredible. Where do you rank it, Rob, when you think Dude, about it? Dude, it's, it's right up there with the greatest scores ever written because it's not just, it's the themes. Everybody, there's so many different themes in this movie, whether it's the dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, oh. you know, the orc theme. And there's there's so many different kinds of, of, of themes throughout. And the, the, the elves or Lothlorien, the music in Lothlorien, yeah. you know, oh. it, it's so, it, it's just so, and then there's, of course, action scoring and the battle music. It, there's so much great music in this. Uh, it's just an incredible feat. The whole of, sound design of the movie. Was oh, yeah. Well done. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, not even just a score, just everything else, too. I mean, the forging when, when, when metal is clanking on other metal and the orcs are forging. Ching, 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 I, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. incredible. All right, next up, we got K Major who writes, here begins the tradition of second breakfast and 11 Zs and lunch and then whatever else came after that. I love second Dinner, breakfast. supper. So, oh, yeah, was that when Pip was talking? Yeah. He's like, he doesn't know about second breakfast? I don't breakfast? think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. 
What about 11sies? I It is, seriously, Second Breakfast is awesome. Game Major also writes, here begins, oh, oh, same thing. Then he also writes, the score of this movie is next level. Absolutely, we're just talking about that, uh, Game Major. The, the score all the way, all the way through, and I know I'm jumping ahead, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but as Return of the King ends, and the ships are sailing off into the West, and then Annie Lennox, Lennox sings... Into and you the hear West. the do 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 that song down. That song, I think it might be my all-time favorite Oscar moment. Was Annie Lennox on stage singing into the West because she sings that song, which is first of all one of the most beautiful songs, and it's perfect for this trilogy. And the way it ends, as the elves and and Frodo and and Gandalf and they all sail off into the West. And that song plays. And I remember, too, as that song is playing at the end, they do all those brown parchment paper sketches of different scenes revisiting the journey we've just been on. And that song, with those images, I I was spent when it was done. Like, just spent. And when she belts it out, because uh-huh. that song builds. I, I, I mean, come on. I got to say something. Hold on. Before we go on. After watching this movie, I have a tub in the garage with all these Lord of the Rings figures that I collected that I was trying to sell off for the longest time, like a couple of years ago, that I said, man, I can't sell these. Like, I, I just couldn't. No one would buy them. I'm so happy I still have them. I'm going to open them <laughs> all up later because <laughs> Frodo comes with the little ring. Too. Oh, yeah. So... I can't wait to look at those later. All right. Next up, we go to David Sock and Lotion writes. Hey, guys. Love your show. Thank you so much, David. Watch every day. Uh, should I buy the theater version or extended trilogy to add to my collection? Thanks. Oh, and of course, bring on the filthy. Well, we're gonna, you're going to get two different points of view here. <laughs> to me, if you only can have one, you get the theatrical version. That's the version of the movie. That's the movie that everybody knows. That's the movie that everybody saw together. Uh, I like the extended stuff. I get a big kick out of the extended stuff. Actually, further you go into the trilogy, the more I like the extended stuff. But if you want to have that shared experience that everybody had when they first went to the theaters and watched this in the movie that 99% of the people know, I say get the theatrical version. Now for the counterpoint, Rob. (laughs) Look, I, I think obviously they knew that there was going to be two different versions of this movie because Peter Jackson had to contractually deliver films of a certain length. And the compromise that they made was New Line said, OK, well, we'll release the extended versions, which Peter Jackson wanted to do. So in my mind, I think the extended versions are a much richer experience. And when you're watching them, it deepens your understanding of the characters. There's moments that... Uh, I think illuminate the rest of the movie uh, like that Boromir Aragorn scene. And I think that it's just a more satisfying and more rich experience with the extended version. Wait a second. The extended was like the late, the the edition that was released later, right? Yeah. And they didn't include the original in each of those discs. It's just extended. You don't have enough. That's crazy to me. There there should be a way on those discs to, you'd think to be able to, if you play this, it'll play the, the version and knew how to skip over the extra bonus. Well, they, I mean, when they you first did it, they had to, to release them on separate discs or yeah, in two parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the, the one thing that new line did was they announced way in advance. They said, look, we're going to release the theatrical versions. Uh, 
And then six months later, we're going to release or whatever, however long it was, we are going to release the extended edition. So they were upfront about this. It was not a double dip. And they never released an ultimate edition? They where have. both. They, okay, they have. so get that one. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, one get, I, would, I would say get that one because there is, look, there is some wonderful stuff in the extended version. Again, my philosophy is, but that's not the actual movie. <laughs> that's not. Well, that was not the theatrically released. Right. But version. if you can get one of those ultimate editions where you can get the best of both worlds, where because I would say this too. Tell me if you agree with this, Rob. You can't actually really appreciate the extended version until you've watched the original mm-hmm. version. Like it's watching the original version, and then when you go later and watch the extended version, and this new material comes that you've never seen before it's in there. True. It's kind of got a nice special impact yeah i mean i i would just think that uh, for me i i've i've only watched the theatrical versions once and then i've only ever watched the oh, extended wow. edition so because when we were working on the special features we were working on the special features oh so it was the extended edition okay. right, that so, makes sense yeah that makes and i never watched went back and watched the theatricals okay, again totally makes sense. okay next up we go to orange hand who writes there are tons of great stories on the special feature features of how certain elements of the film came to be are there any that are your favorites rob is somebody who worked on the special features you got a favorite story um i don't there's there's i i can't even begin to tell you uh having i mean there's like our viewer said there's so many stories i mean i can't i can't even pick out i can't even pick out just one but i did like the fact that vigo mortensen went out and like tried to be aragorn for real like he went out into the New Zealand outback or whatever and, and lived out Very there. Very method. He went out and camped and he really wanted to get into the mindset of it all. And I I, I really liked that he did that. I mean, I wow, thought that, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and because he wanted to get a feel that's, for it. That's and it, that brought the authenticity to it. But the, you know, there's so many you know, Christopher Lee was a huge Tolkien fan, loved Tolkien, and he wanted to play Gandalf, but even he realized that he was I believe out of everybody in the movie, Christopher Lee is the only person who actually met Tolkien. Yeah. He's the only guy in Lord of the Rings who actually met Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. And, and Christopher Lee spoke so many different languages and was in British intelligence during the war. And I think my favorite story, and it's been recounted, is in in in, uh, uh, in Return of the King when Grima is going to stabs. Christopher Lee had to explain to Peter Jackson that's not what it sounds like when somebody gets killed with a knife. <laughs> you know, and, and Christopher Lee's just like, let me explain to you how this doesn't work. And because the insinuation is that Christopher Lee killed dudes during World War II and knew exactly how it sounded. So that's a good one, too. All right. Uh, next up, we've got C, uh, CJ Rebirth writes, uh, first saw this around the age of seven or eight. The One Rings theme gives me chills every time. Yeah, it absolutely does. I hear it also. Uh, kid me was like, wow, when I first saw a Eve Lily, probably mean Evangeline Lily as, oops, sorry, I meant Liv Tyler as Arwen. Uh, I'm now 27, and I love that it still holds up. It is, it is again, we've already talked about this a little bit earlier, but it is remarkable how well this movie holds up. Other than, again, a couple of compositing shots, some compositing issues, which I'm sure they could totally easily fix in a new re-release of the movie if they wanted to. Uh, I think they have for the 4K version. They've gone back. They went back and cleaned that up. Other than that, it's absolutely flawless. It's absolutely perfect, man. All right, next up. Uh, uh, Kurt Kurt Unconscious writes, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. John, thank you for doing a movie club of my favorite movie. Again, like, obviously Sam is great in this. And everybody, here's the sad part about humanity, though. 
everybody wants a Sam. Not everybody wants to be a Sam, though. Right. That should be that should be your our goal, right? There's there's a life lesson for you. L- have a Sam in your life, but be a Sam for somebody else. Way to go, John. Way to. I like that. <laughs> I hope that's what we all do. Uh, anyway, yeah. I listen, and obviously as. The trilogy progresses. I mean, like we said, Sam kind of becomes more and more like the MVP of this whole thing. So it is great. It's a wonderful line. I don't mean to, Mr. Frodo. I don't mean to. He's it's- such a he's such the shoulder to lean on or cry on whenever you need it the most. It seems like he's there to push Frodo every time he doubts. Any doubt, Sam is there to pick him up. You know what I mean? That's that's great. It's like a it's like they're one person. All right. Next up, uh, we've got. Uh, Noah Schieffer writes, uh, my all-time favorite comfort movie never fails to wow me. And listen, comfort movie or not, you're going to find a lot of film fans in the world that will just say The Lord of the Rings is their favorite film of all time. And maybe even specifically The Fellowship of the Ring. So you're in good company there, Noah. All right, next up, Jared Vester writes, is it cheating to consider all three movies of Lord of the Rings as one? I don't. Nope. Uh, on my top 10 list of best movies, it's always hard to pick my favorite. Okay, let me clarify how I do it. I do not consider them one movie, but when constructing like my favorite movies of all time mm-hmm. list, I will just create one spot yeah. for the Lord of the Rings, okay. much like I do for the star Wars yeah. films. Cause they're all they're They're one, one a and one B yep. to me, not like say matrix, which you got to break those up. Cause the quality difference in them is so right. vast mm-hmm. or Godfather. Cause the quality difference, once you get to the third one is so vast, but they're just all so great. It's not cheating at all, man. Not cheating at all. All right, next up. Ahmed El Hassan writes, uh, that chase scene with the Ringwraith and Arwen. Oh, dude. Every moment of this movie is so great, but the moment that she's got Frodo on her horse and she's making haste, and then you start to see the Nazgul closing in and all that kind of stuff. And then the line. Like, if, if, if there's a girl that Aragorn... Heir to the throne of Gondor, maybe the biggest badass in Middle-earth, will swoon over? It's going to be a girl who will look at ringwraiths in the face and say, you want them? Come and claim them. Bang! Right there. Elven balls, man. Like, that's that's the woman that Aragorn would fall in love with. Oh, my goodness, yes. I totally forgot. Speaking of balls. Speaking of balls. No, not really. Oh. Uh, we need to take a, just a quick break here. We'll get back to the rest of the, the questions here in just a moment. But we need to hear a little bit of something here from our folks, our good folks, over at Honey. Check this out. Today's episode of Movie Club is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Guys, more and more, we enjoy shopping online, whether it's on our phones or our computers. And how many times have you gotten to the checkout and seen that promo code box and thought, man, if I only had a promo code, I could save some money. Well, thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. So here's the situation. You're shopping online on one of your favorite sites. And when you go to checkout, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Then just wait a few seconds as Honey works its magic and searches for coupons it can find for that site that you're on. And if Honey finds working coupon, 
just watched the price drop. Recently, Ann and I were hanging out at home one evening and we decided to order in and the honey button appeared. I was able to apply coupon and I actually saved like six or seven bucks. It was that easy to use. And honey doesn't just work on your desktop computer. It also works on your iPhone. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. So if you don't already have honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this show. Get honey for free at joinhoney.com slash movie club that's joinhoney.com slash movie club all right and a special thank you to the good folks at honey for sponsoring this episode of movie club make sure you guys go get it and use that movie club code all right let's keep on going with your questions here next up city of swift writes uh, this trilogy will always have a special place in my heart as I go through life. I keep going back to them for the journey uh, through life that they are. Uh, though happy and sad times, it always hits the spot. I mean, that's the thing about this movie. This is a movie that, I like the way she said it. It follow, It goes with you on the journey. Like, you can be in a hard place in your life. Like, I've... I've had times, years, where I've, I was in a hard place in my life and watched Lord of the Rings, and it gave me inspiration. I've been in great places in my life and watched it and it celebrated life with me. I mean, that's just something these movies do. There's something to learn and aspire to be. You know what? It's the great thing about art. Art will make you imagine and dream and want to make you want to better yourself, too. Like, Because when you, when you see things like, Arrowins, and you want them, you come and claim them. When you see the redemption of Boromir, when you see the, the faithfulness of a Samwise, when you see the bravery of, you name the character in there. Like, it's also a movie that inspires you to be the best version of you. And and that's what a truly great movie does. So, I mean, I, I absolutely love that City of Swift, and I think you're absolutely right about that. It goes along with us on the journey. All right, next up, Jared Vester writes, Rewatching this movie, I felt sorry for Boromir and what the ring did to him when he tried to take it from Frodo. Again, that's why Boromir to me is my favorite character in all of fiction, whether it's books, movies, comics. Boromir is my favorite guy because I see myself and I think I see a lot of us in him. Wants to do right, tries to do right, has weaknesses like anybody others. He fails in his weaknesses just like all of us do, but then immediately tries to make good on his failure. And that's something, again, like I was just talking about, these characters, they inspire me. And when I look at Boromir, that always inspires me. He's like, look, I'm going to F up. Despite my best intentions, I'm going to F up. The question is, when I do F up, what do I do after that? And and I want to be like Boromir. Pick up my sword, go save Merry and Pip. Which he also failed in. And he died. But the important part is, is that he died nobly. He died trying to make up for his mistake and his weakness. And I, I just love that about him. All right. Next up, Ahmed El Hassan also writes, one of the best openings to a film of all time, in my opinion. Again, the prologue. It's like how much Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson covered two movies worth of material in like just a couple of minutes, set everything all up, and away we go. It was great, because once the movie started, you felt everything you knew, everything you needed to know. It was fantastic. All right, K Major writes, how powerful was it to see Aragorn have his sword ready when Boromir had the ring? He was ready to take him out if he had to. Yeah, that was a strong moment. As Boromir says, oh, whatever, I care not. I rubs Frodo's head. And then that camera shot, beautiful choice of shots, by the way. Just a quick camera shot down to Aragorn was holding that sword. I mean, that was like, 
Okay, you know, you, now you get the sense of how tense everything is. I love the shot in the snow when Boromir holds up the ring in the in the in the. Uh, oh the, yeah, it's such a great the the focus and the it's just such a great moment. And just overall, we haven't talked a lot about the cinematography of this movie. It's oh just, yeah, and it won best best cinematography Incredible. at the at the Academy. Awards. Yeah, I mean the great Andrew Lesney who shot it, who's no longer with us. I mean they did such a great job, and uh, of doing this, and then of course he was working with the color graders as well to make this look the way it looked. I mean, they did such a marvelous job. They really did. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, where are we at near? Oh yeah. Sidious writes, uh, the shot of Frodo's hand reaching for Sam's hand in the river could have been a painting. And I'd believe it looks unbelievably real. Here's the, here's the one thing though. None of the underwater stuff looked the way it would look. I mean, none of that was shot underwater, right? <laughs> none of that. Was, it was kind of almost like the way they did the dark, like when they're in the caves of Moria and Gandalf takes his staff and goes and lights up. That's actually, they're shooting that in a fully lit room. They just used post-production to make it feel like the room was dark. And then it was that, that underwater stuff was not actually shot underwater, but the style of it just worked for the storytelling of it, right? Like it just absolutely, and when that hand went in the water and grabbed Sam's hand, that was awesome all right next up jared vester writes uh also completely speculative but if the surviving fellowship had stayed with frodo and sam do you guys believe they would have failed at the destroying of the ring or could you see them succeeding they absolutely would have failed because the ring would have done to every single one of them that it did to bohemir it would have done it to all of them, and it would have destroyed. That's why Frodo knew he had to leave. Rob, what do you think? Oh, I completely agree that he did. That's what made him leave. You right. know, he had to leave because he saw the corruption of, 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 of a good man, and uh, he couldn't risk it. You know, he couldn't risk it. And and look what they did. Look when Sam and Frodo light off on their own. Look at the risk that they've taken. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're go they're going off without. They've got no protection. They just have what Galadriel gave them. All right, next up, uh, K Major writes, uh, the score in this movie is almost a character to me. You know, again, we've gone over the score many times, dude, and you're absolutely right. The score of this film is one of, uh, arguably to some people, the best uh, out of any movie ever of all time. It is certainly in the conversation for that. K Major also writes, I'll never forget watching this movie when I was 10 on DVD. Saw the rest of the trilogy in theaters. I know the lines by heart, so many quotes. And I think that's true of a lot of us fans. I think for a lot of us, we don't even realize how many times we've watched this movie. Oh. Because we can just recite a lot, right along with the movie as it goes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I know Ray can't. Right? Like, easy. No. No, no, no. <laughs> but when we do two, uh, the Two Towers next week, man, I can't wait to say, tell you guys where I was at and what, you know, just the whole story. It's going to be crazy. By the way, I should mention, we will not be doing Two Towers next week. Oh, my bad. Because we're not doing a movie club next week. Uh, next week CinemaCon. we are going to be at CinemaCon. So the next movie club will be in two weeks, and that is when we'll pick up with uh, the two towers. I'm very much looking forward. Do you know what we're going to be seeing next Thursday, John? Oh, we're going to be seeing uh, Top Gun next Thursday. Oh yes, we are. We're going to be seeing a lot of stuff at CinemaCon this year. I'm so freaking excited for it. Which is that will be the prequel to Lord of the Rings, Top Gun Maverick. Yes, yes, yeah. it leads directly into the events of the Second Age. All right. Next up, uh, Irene Jobson writes, I love the music. I listen to Concerning Hobbits at night to sleep on repeat. Many, many nights, Irene, I pop on one of several 
you know, a Lord of the Rings music with with background ambiance videos that are like eight hours long. And so you and me both, Irene, you and me both. All right. Lucas J writes, this is my Star Wars. I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, this is the first time that real movie magic happened for them. Like for me, it was Star Wars. But for other people, their very first exposure to real movie magic was probably Lord of the I, Rings. I never really thought of it that way, but this is my Star Wars too, because I never watched the original tr trilogy of Star Wars. This was my big, went to every movie when they came out, excited for the next one, mad at the time in between each one. Having to wait a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember, that was another thing, the, the, the Lord of the Rings fever gripped the world. You know, and, and when everyone went and saw this and how, how exciting it was, remember when the subsequent movies came out, it was it was huge. I mean, it, it was, was giant waiting for that. <laughs> you know, people going like, oh, my God. And you know what else? This was a, a, a less cynical time where the thought that these movies would suck or something, it never even occurred to people. After seeing the first, once people realized what the first movie was, it was like, they can't wait. There was no question. The whole world's like, I can't wait. I, I don't remember if at the end of every movie in the theater, did it say the next time the thing would come out? Well, it was Do you guys remember? Was yeah, it was they, oh, okay. they, yeah. they actually, the first trailer, if you go back and you look at the announcement trailer, it tells you, it says when all three movies oh, are coming okay. out. Yeah. So people knew. He, again, huge risk they took on that. All right. The man with the master plan writes, funny enough, my 14 year old asked to start Lord of the Rings with me this weekend. Nice. And it's Aww. been like 10 years since my last watch and all he nerded out at uh, the usual. Sorry. And all he nerded out at the you, the you shall not pass scene because <laughs> of a meme. Thank you. And bring on the filthy. I'm telling you, though, that I mean, I think there are a lot of look, everybody in the world, whether they've seen Star Wars or not, knows. No, Luke, I am your father. Uh, no, I am your father's is the line. Every, everybody knows that line. Everybody knows that Darth Vader, people who have not seen Lord of the Rings know the you shall not pass line. I mean, that's just there for everybody. And dude, you know, we we're talking about somebody else or a little bit earlier who is watching, watches these movies with their mother every year. You watching this with your 14 year old for the first time, dude, that's damn magic. Like I don't have kids yet, but when I do, I know watching Star Wars and watching Lord of the Rings with them for the first time are going to be really damn special moments. So I'm, that's awesome, man. All right. K Major Reds. Uh, Lord of the Rings is the only movie I own on multiple formats. DVD, special edition, Blu-ray special edition, and both on streaming 4K from Vudu. And I had the theatrical DVDs as well. I mean, again, it's one of the very, very few physical media things that I still have is my original Lord of the Rings DVDs. That's it. Everything else is on streaming. Also, one of the very few were, even me, the top-level special features lover, went through the special features and slept through so much. There's so many special features on it. It's longer than yeah. the movie. Yeah, no, way longer than the movie. Multiple times longer than the movie. It's it's that and the Star Wars prequels are the best special features ever on disc. I'll tell you something that's really sad. When we were doing these special features, the interviews alone... There's hundreds of hours of interviews and the the final documentaries represent 10 hours. There's hundreds of hours for each movie that no one's ever seen. Let me ask you this. I want to ask you this question. And, and be honest. As you and, and the teams you're working with were making the special features for Lord of the Rings and you were out there in New Zealand, stuff like that. Did you guys have any inkling that 
we are literally working on one of the great what what will go down in history is one of the greatest series of movies of all time like did, did you actually oh. have that sense oh no uh, absolutely we did i mean and we hadn't seen the movies yet but after we we knew from even from beforehand but once we started seeing this material and going through it like it, it was it was we we took it so seriously that what we were doing because we had so much material and everybody participated that we were absolutely trying to do the greatest things ever done i mean it, it, the audio commentaries alone john the editorial involved in those audio commentaries if you looked at the timelines the editorial timelines because there's four there's four uh, audio commentaries per disc uh, per movie months months worth of editorial work because you're intercutting all of these things i mean the interviews you know I got to fly to London and I interviewed Christopher Lee for five hours. And so cool. And it was just, you know, it was the, it was the most amazing. And there's only 10 minutes of that interview on the, on the disc because a lot of it was just talking to him about his life and all this. And it was, it was, it was incredible. And a part of, part of some of my most wonderful memories in my entire professional career were working on these discs. All right, next up, we've got Brad Johnson who writes, Having read the books many times, I wasn't a fan of this movie when I saw it in theaters. My friend convinced me to watch the extended edition, and I loved it from that point forward. Well, yeah, because the, the extended versions have a lot more of the book in them. And I can understand that I have a friend that is a total Tolkien purist and doesn't like these movies. But these are, you have to understand, they're adaptations. You know, every every book adaptation, like I, I love David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone, the adaptation of the Stephen King book. It's half the book. What, you know, what? he couldn't have gone back. The, the, these are an adaptation. And they're a, they, what they do is they capture the essence of Tolkien's story so well. Was that Brad Jobson, you said? Yes. Oh, so him and Irene are one, two punching this super chat. <laughs> she just sent the question before. They're 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 married. They're the married couple. That, oh, I didn't know they were. Uh, Irene and Brad Jobson. Oh, there you What's go. What's up? I, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> All right. Next up, Chef Rigo. Chef. Chef Rigo writes in. Uh, let's see. Never seen any of these movies. Should I watch them before the Amazon Prime series? Also, sorry about my Star Trek Big Bang Theory joke, Rob. I, I love. Don't you apologize for that? As far as should you go back and watch these movies first of all forget that there's an amazon series coming it does that's irrelevant you what are you doing you need to go and watch the lord of the rings films regardless of this thing coming out so i would highly encourage going and watching this going and watching this trilogy first it'll probably give you a lot more context for the series <laughs> i know what do you guys think and also if you find you're just not into into it after watching the first movie even all three then don't even bother watching the Amazon series. No, look, I would say watch these because they're so enjoyable. As if you're a fan of movies and a fan of storytelling and you like fantasy cinema, it doesn't get much better than this. Yep. I mean, do yourself a favor and watch the films. You'll you'll be glad you did. You'll have a great time. All right, next up, uh, we got Brad Jobson, who also writes again, my expectations really got in the way on that initial watch. The extras were my favorite part of the release. You really felt like you were along for the ride with the cast and crew. I mean, again, I've talked to several people over time that, I mean, while it's inconceivable now, when the Lord of the Rings films first came out, there were 
again, like there are today with the comic purists. Yeah. There were Tolkien purists yeah. who were like, well, they, they missed this, they missed that, and Tom Bombadil, and blah. It's and like, someone's, someone's line was given to someone else. Legolas didn't say this, yeah. Gimli said this. And or... it's like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> it's, it's, this is the movie, and the movie is one of the greatest things ever made. But it's understandable, Brad, because like we do do that. Like If you read the comic book first, or in this case, you read the novel first, you go in with a certain set of expectations. And it's... Here's the thing. What makes you an advanced movie viewer is that you recognize. This is the problem. Most people don't recognize. You recognize that you let your pre-existing expectations for it to be like the book get in the way. I'm glad you were able to stick it out, watch it again, even if it's the extended edition, and we're able to watch it uh, more with more of a clean slate on that side. So that puts you ahead of the curve, man. That puts you way ahead of the curve. All right. Daniel Dang writes. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if we lived in an alternate universe where Stuart Towns instead stayed on to play Aragorn instead of Viggo Mortensen. It's, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. But here's the thing. This is why I always say when people say nobody can play that role except that guy, what I always say to it now is you only say that because that's the guy you saw. Like, imagine if Peter Townsend did play it. I'm sure it would have been fine. What, like, I'm did, sure he, it been... what did he actually go on to do? Because that name doesn't sound familiar at all. Stuart Townsend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did what, I say what's Peter he, Townsend? Yeah. Because he... that's a totally different yeah. guy. He, he, what's he, he famous? a lot of things. Like, he was in Queen of the Damned. Uh, he, oh, okay. he played Lestat in Queen oh, okay. of the Damned. So, yeah, I'm sure it would have been still been good. I'm sure, I'm sure the movie still would have been great. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people would probably today be saying, nobody could have played it as good as Townsend did. Well, little do you know that in another universe, Viggo Mortensen played it and it became kind of immortal. And, and that's kind of the thing. This, I mean, it's, it's great the way it worked out. But if it hadn't been Vigo and they gave it to another guy, I'm sure it still would have been great. But yeah, that's why I always kind of laugh when somebody says nobody could play that role except that person. It's like, well, you're only saying because that's the person you saw. I also love the way Vigo's hair would never dry. <laughs> It, it's like, it's like he was Roman razor ramoning it, razor ramoning it throughout the whole trilogy. Like, always, at least a little damp, right? Because they're always outside, man. They're always outside. All right. Uh, next up, Ismail Montoya writes, uh, the last quote Gandalf shared with Frodo was truly inspirational. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. That's how everyone feels who, like who live in such times. We must decide to do what we do with the time that's given. This is a movie... Here's the thing. You can get a lot of great fantasy and genre films and have really cool creatures and monsters and a story and all that kind of stuff. This is a movie that is infinitely quotable. This movie is as, as quotable as Step Brothers, only on a much deeper level, right? Combined with the great action and visual effects and the story and the iconic characters and the legendary tale, it's filled with these moments like that. And like you can write an entire book just of the great, Requotable moments of the movie, and that is truly a great one, Ismail. All right, K Major writes Sam Wise showing he is the original bro for life. Took a beat before I realized uh, that was Mickey from Goonies. Sorry, Rob. Goonies and Sam never say die. And he was the boyfriend in Stranger Things. Like all of a sudden, Sam Wise is showing up in there. No, it's true. Like the movie, look, one of the themes of it that Gandalf is constantly referring to is. Don't underestimate anybody. And like Gandalf even has a line of this thing. Hobbits are extraordinary. You can learn everything about them in a day. And yet after however long, they still surprise you. And even at the end of the trilogy, as 
I'm going to almost cry when we talk about this, when we do get to Return of the King. But at the end of the film, when all of Gondor kneels, all of Middle-earth kneels to these four hobbits, there's, there's an implied message here about even the smallest person. And Galadriel says that herself in the chat. Even the smallest person, right, can have this sort of a thing. And I think Samwise is a great illustration of that. We meet Samwise, and he's just this shy guy who doesn't want to ask, what's the girl's name? Not... Not Sandy, not oh, um, I, I can't. Uh, you mean yeah, guys? What's what's the name of the the, the Hobbit barmaid played by by Sean Astin's actual wife? Really? Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, um, was it Stacy? What was oh, what was that girl's name? Rosie. Rosie. I, that's Irene right. Jobson's the one who got it. Rosie. Ryan Cleary also got it. Theater Pup also got it. A few others got it as well. Rosie. Uh, Ron Fraser got it. Curse got. So. He's just this kind of shy, bubbling guy, Rosie. He's the bumbling guy outside the window that, you know, poor Samwise got banged over the head by, by Gandalf pulled in. Oh, nothing, sir. I heard something about a ring in the end of the world, but nothing. Keep up, Samwise. But he's the hero of the story. And I just love how Tolkien and Peter Jackson, by extension, play that theme out on a grand scale and then on a micro scale just with the individual character himself, which is pretty awesome. All right. Thanks for that, K-Major. Next up, Brad Jobson writes, I still have the original DVD release. I love how they look like books. It's true. They look amazing. Yep. The original DVD releases, Brad, absolutely look fantastic. That's why it's one of the very, very few pieces of physical media I hold on to. That and my Battlestar Galactica uh, discs. All right. Next up, K-Major writes, uh, can we give a moment of silence to that one dude who was just trying to do his job guarding the door to Bree, the prancing pony? He got straight up mowed down by the ring <laughs> Oh, yeah. He deserved better. Yeah. All right. I meant no offense, young masters or little masters, whatever. By the way, dumb question. I never looked it up, but I was watching the movie last night. Was that guy the same guy who's the janitor at Hogwarts in the Harry Potter movies? Oh, I don't know. That's a uh, Wow. I, I would imagine not. I, I mean, probably not. But I just I watch it, and I even turn to Anne, who's a total Potterhead. I'm like, is that the same guy who's kind of like the caretaker in Hogwarts? And she's like, you know what? I don't know. So I, mm. I'm just throwing it out there. I've got somebody, Robert Voss is saying I, that it's not. So is Daniel oh. Dang. They're saying yeah. it's not. Okay, it's not. But I just, just for a minute, the way his that face That would have been looked, funny. <laughs> that would have been really funny. Yeah, that poor guy just doing his job totally gets slammed by the ring race. Okay. Uh, next up, Ryan Lawner writes, uh, Gandalf's death is the only time someone screaming no has ever not seemed silly to me. That was quite a scene knowing nothing about the books. It's the difference between understanding the moment and not. Yeah, Gandalf d falls and it's like, no. But that was done authentically. It was done powerfully. Contrast that against, I don't know, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Padme died. Uh, and you killed her. Uh, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's fundamentally misunderstanding the moment and understanding how it comes across. In, in The Lord of the Rings, it comes across organic and authentic and real and emotional, whatever. It came across as a punchline in the other one. And, and that's not an easy thing to do. Right? So uh, that was a really good example of how it's done right. All right. Uh, next up. K Major writes, Agent Smith had me so conflicted during the 2000s. Yep, because first, on one hand, he's Elrond. The other hand, he's totally Agent Smith. I mean, he's 
I love him. And, of course, he was Red Skull as well. Yes, he was. Still the best Red Skull we've ever had. Uh, Ty Burton writes, uh, the way that score, to try this again, the way that the score takes over during the breaking of the Fellowship sequence is absolutely breathtaking. It reminds me of how the music completely commands the finale of E.T. I, of course, have to, to, to that end, Ty, I told the story before, but I was at the annual, I go, Ann and I, pardon me, go every year to the John Williams concert. And twice now, they've done the final scene, the final segment of E.T. with John Williams and his orchestra playing the music to it. And it's with the visuals up on the big screen and the play, it's so powerful and moving. And that's a great, great example of that, Ty. Well done. All right. Shaggy5567 writes, Longtime viewer since AMC. Thank you so much. Uh, never sent a chat until now, but I had to for my favorite movies of all time and the only movies I cry with each watch. Thanks. Tell you what, Shaggy. I said a, a little bit earlier, when we get to Return of the King, there is no scene in any movie other than maybe the ending of Life is Beautiful with Roberto Benigni, that I don't want to cry than when Aragorn says to the hobbits, my friends, you bow to no one, and him and all of Middle-earth bow to four hobbits. Tears, man. Tears. Massive chest pounding with, and Gondor, or sorry, and Rohan shall answer. Massive chest pounding when that ha- every time that happens, I pound my chest like, grr, you're not a man unless you do that. But tears at that moment, dude. Absolute tears. All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, man. Thanks for being around for so long, Shaggy. Appreciate that, dude. All right, Ryan Lawner writes, this movie was just a few months after 9-11, and spending three hours of this in this fantasy world was exactly what a lot of people needed. You know what? I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that. Yeah, because it was November of 2001. My goodness, I didn't even, like, I don't put that, but that would yeah, have been... two and a half months after 9-11. Yeah. Totally, like, this this idea of a, the, a movie the world needed at that time. A movie the world needed. That's a, thanks for reminding us about that, Ryan. That's great. All right. Uh, K Major writes again, Has anyone ever noticed that Gandalf gave a slight sigh of relief when Frodo initially said there were no more markings on the ring? Uh, the face completely changed when he said, Wait. Oh, yeah. Like, I totally know that. Like, because uh-huh. he's almost certain that this is it. This is the freaking ring of power. It's back. That means he says, what do you see? Well, first of all, Gandalf is a dick, right? Because he gets the ring, says, uh, oh, it's quite cool. How do you know it's quite cool? He takes the ring out of the fire and says, hold out your hand, Frodo. Oh, but it's quite cool. Yeah. What if it wasn't? That's a dick. That's yeah. a dick move right there. But anyway, Drop says, Marky, what do you see? He's waiting a moment. Concern. And then he says, nothing. <sighs> Ian McKellen, man, just the way he acted that scene with his expression. Oh, wait, there's markings. Fuck. <laughs> like that look on his face, right? It was totally beautifully, beautifully done. All right. Uh, next up, we've got a late night album who writes, uh, rewatch Lord of the Rings in theaters. Significant pieces of the score were altered. The score connecting to uh, Enya's May It Be uh, abruptly stops instead of segueing into her track. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't know anything about that. Do you? Have you heard anything no. about that? Either you guys? Mm. No, I don't know how they would change it. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know why they would have changed it. Like, what would have been the? I don't know. I mean, if it's over the end credits, you know, for the extended versions, they've added all the 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 people from the One Ring dot net. They added everybody's name at the end, so maybe they're they. They, the theatrical versions were showing and the music wasn't the same. I'm not sure. 
All right, we move on to Ron Frazier, who writes, Such a fantastic movie. One, really the whole trio of movies where the music is its own character. It really is, because look, in movies, when a character enters a scene, if you've done the character well, the character entering the scene changes the mood of the audience watching it. When Vader walks in a room, you feel it. When Aragorn walks into a room, you feel it. When Batman walks into a room, you feel it. When, depending on which movie iteration it is, when Martin Luther King walks into a room, you feel it. When the music starts to play, you instantly recognize it as if it had a face. And it alters the, the feeling in the room, Ron. So you're absolutely 100% right with that observation, dude. It absolutely is. All right, K Major writes, I've tried to purchase the many swords of the film. I've been to many, like medieval fairs and things like that and and uh, like even at different conventions there'll always be sword makers there and there's always what's the name of the sword again the sword of the king the bro the sword that was broken and is now remained a silver oh. sword it's a silver um, sword but um, i can't remember oh not this glamdring is is um gandalf sword yeah i it's, don't know if you guys in the live chat remember the actual name the reforged of the sword. um uh and and andril uh, yeah andril andril narsil the sword right I've seen that many, many times, but there's so many iconic swords in it that you could totally do that. All right, next up, uh, we've got uh, Daya writes, this, along with Star Wars, is the best score ever. Yeah, listen, um, obviously, the Star Wars, this is the difference between Star Wars, though, and these are two perfect examples of two contrasting things that are both equally valuable. With the Lord of the Rings, let's start with Star Wars. With Star Wars, you have the most memorable pieces of music. Doesn't matter if it's the main theme, Leia's theme, the Imperial March, right? All these tunes are instantly recognizable, hummable, blah, blah, blah. Lord of the Rings, and this is a contrast in styles between John Williams and Howard Shore as well. Lord of the Rings, the music accompanies the scene. It accentuates the scenes, right? And both are fantastic and, and great. They just take different approaches to it. But yeah, that's a great example. All right, next up. We got uh, Kara writes, which versions of Lord of the Rings do you prefer, the theatrical or extended cuts? Well, we were kind of talking about, for me, it's theatrical. For Rob, it's, it's extended. extended. Uh, but I like them. The answer is I like them both. I like them both. The movie is the regular theatrical things. That's the movie. There's a lot of great stuff in the extended stuff, though. And if you are a fan of the original films, you owe it to yourself to watch the extended ones for sure. All right, next up. We've got a Joel who writes, my wife woke up to me watching this and in my Lord of the Rings shirt while wearing the necklace with the ring and holding a replica of Frodo's sword. All I will say is that should be a moment when your wife realizes how lucky she is. <laughs> if you've got if you're married to the right, right woman, that's when your wife should realize she's married the right man. But, but that's probably not what happened. It's probably not the case. But I think that's very manly, dude. All right. Next up, Connor uh, writes, My God, when Arwen summons the river on the Nazgul, glorious and beautiful, top three favorite scene in cinematic history. It is really and great. And the, the water as the horses. You know, the oh. horse heads coming out. I love that so much. It's so great. It was just, well, because remember, before she left, she says, the power of my people will protect me. What does that mean? Oh, that's what that means. You attack, you attack Rivendell. Good luck. You go right ahead and you attack Rivendell. All right. Uh, next up, John S. writes, uh, I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of, of Anor. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Uden. You cannot pass. That's a great damn speech. And it's hard to imagine 
Although I'm sure it would have been awesome as well. Sean Connery saying that line. Yeah. We didn't talk about that. I mean, I'm sure many of you watching right now, you know that originally cast and the one Peter Jackson kind of made this role for was Sean Connery. Sean Connery didn't really get it and decided he was still going to do it, but ultimately decided to do another movie that he was kind of the producer of that he thought was going to be a better thing for him to do called the league of extraordinary gentlemen. I mean, Sean Connery's a God, all right, but make no mistake, but yeah, one of the more hindsight, mistakes in, in one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that drove him from the business was that movie yeah i mean it was such a flop working with stephen norrington he hated the director and you know i worked on that movie i didn't you didn't i don't think i did it when i worked with the visual effects company that was not the but one of the very first real movies because we we had been doing a lot of smaller stuff like marketing company stuff we'd, we'd guess do we did some commercials and things like that but then we got subcontracted by a bigger hollywood visual effects company by the way that's what happens in this business the visual effects companies get contracted for like 1500 shots but they don't have the manpower to do 1500 shots so they actually subcontract out like 500 of those shots anyway we were one of those subcontractors and it's one of the first movies we ever made and yeah it was so bad that it it drove sean connery out of the business it was his love guru that drove Mike Myers out of the business for so long. It's it's really unfortunate because he could have been Gandalf. But hey, I don't... I think it worked out well. It worked out just fine. Uh, Ian McKellen, Magneto. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, Raymond Verrata writes, uh, Elijah appeared at a talk show years later and someone shouted, Frodo lives. Elijah replied, still? <laughs> still? Really? I mean, it's... It's. I wish Elijah would have done more after Lord of the Rings. Because honestly, the the best thing I can remember him from, most notably, was Sin City. And I don't even think he had any lines in that. He was in that? Yeah. He, he did a lot of, he, he he's was done a lot of stuff that he's, I mean, he's done some, some but, stuff. Didn't but, he do a, a, like a Fargo TV show or something like that? Did he do? I, no, I no, it was the, the one with the dog. Show. The one with the dog. Yes. And it was good. It's actually, everybody sees a dog, but then it's just a, for us, it's just a giant guy in a dog suit. (laughs) Right. That's right. I forgot about that. That was a good show. I never watched it. Oh, at least the first season was. I thought it was was pretty good. I mean, he was so talented. I wish he'd done more. All right. Next up. And we got Rampage Predacon who writes, how do you rank the movies in this trilogy? I don't. Mm, I mean, look. See, that's where. (laughs) I, at the end of the day, I think the greatest single achievement, technically, of any movie in history is Return of the King. When you combine all the various elements and stuff like that, I'm not saying I think it's the greatest movie of all time, but I think it's the single greatest achievement, like what can really be done, especially over 20 years ago. And it holds the record for the most Academy Award wins in history. No film in history has ever won more Academy Awards. It won every one it was nominated for. It won. It was nominated for 11 awards. It won 11 awards. You know, uh, they talk about that. Like, Peter Jackson has spoken about that going, he he would have felt bad if somebody lost. You know, everybody won except. <laughs> well, imagine if you're the one. But what's interesting, no acting awards. No. It was just, it was seen as such an ensemble piece that there was no acting nominations, but it was nominated for 11 and 111. And again, there are two other films that won 11, but no film in history has ever won more. And to this day, and I don't know if that's a record that's ever going to be broken. 
Uh, I mean, everybody says that, and eventually they do I, get broken. I have a personal rule where if there's like a series and all of them are so close in quality, I always say the first one is my favorite. With Rocky, Rocky one's the best. This one, I'll say Fellowship's the best. Harry Potter, I say the first Harry Potter's the best because they're kids still. And I love like... Prisoner know, of Azkaban, man. Yeah, but, you know, everyone could... You, they're all good, so I can't really rank them. All right, next up. We've got uh, Jedediah Elias who writes, Might be my favorite of trilogy, although Return of the King's third act easily overtakes it. Love how grounded the first chapter feels. A simple and moving story about brotherhood. So glad a first-time watch was in IMAX last year. Ooh, you got to watch wow. it for the first time in IMAX yeah, last yeah. year. That's pretty awesome. Again, this is a trilogy that builds. Because you're right, it's it's a small, it feels weird to call Fellowship of the Ring a smaller scale film. It's huge. But then you move into Two Towers and you got like the Battle of Helm's Deep and it gets grander. Helm's and Deep, baby. Then you're like, how do you top that? Oh, I don't know. And then they move into Return of the King. And it's just it's bigger and bigger and grander and grander and never loses any of its. How's a billion undead sound yeah, to you? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Try that. And then, oh, God, there's so many amazing moments in that final battle. Like, it's just. It's just, I can't wait for us to get to it. I cannot wait for us to get to it. I can't wait for us to talk about Two Towers. All right, next up, Raymond Vrata writes, the 3D wall projection at the top of Salesforce Tower in San Francisco has the Eye of Sauron every Halloween. <laughs> Does that, I didn't, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. Every Halloween, that's cool, man. I, did you ever notice, Ray? There's a, there's a Cheesecake Factory we go to in, in Riverside. And when you go into it, all their posts, I'm sure it's not intentional, but all the posts they Anna and I see it every time. It just they look like the Eye of Sauron. Oh, I've, every I time we noticed. go, we're like, this, "Why is this place decorated with the Eye of Sauron all over the place?" And it's not meant to look like the Eye of Sauron, but it looks like that all over the place. All right, and final one here. We just had Philly G send in a super chat just to be supportive, and guys, that will draw to a close this meeting of Movie Club. Thank you guys so much for being here with us as we talk about. Truly one of our favorite movies of all time, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Once again, I want to remind you guys there will not be a movie club next week because we're going to be in Vegas at CinemaCon doing a lot of reporting and a lot of videos from there. So we're going to wait two weeks. We'll be back and we're going to be doing Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. So make sure you guys join us for that. I want to thank the guys sitting here with me, Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, where can people follow you online? You can find me on Instagram at RM Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, Post Geek Singularity and postgeeksingularity.com. And of course, Ray Aura. Ray, where can people follow you? You can find me at Ray Aura with a zero and Ray Aura with a zero and Ray Aura with a zero and Ray Aura with a zero. That's where you get them. <laughs> and you guys can follow me on Instagram or Twitter simply at John Campia. Guys, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. It is so much fun doing movie club just to pick one movie, focus on it, talk about it for a couple hours. So great. Thank you guys for being here with us. That'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campy, and until next time, my friends, fly, you fools. <laughs>